The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey, welcome back. Mike Gilland here with you on The Shepherd Afternoons with Mike. Each and every day I have an opportunity to talk to someone in our studio or perhaps over the line. Today it's live and in person here at our Shepherd Studios. I'm talking about Kevin W. McCarthy, not just Kevin McCarthy. Not to be confused with the Speaker of the House. That's right. As I say, I'm not even the Speaker in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin McCarthy is the on-purpose guy. Now you've heard me have this guy on before uh, talking about the the ministry that he has, and really you've taken that those terms, those two words, and you've put them together in a very meaningful and I think memorable way about living our lives on purpose. I mean that's something that it's got to be part of your moniker every day, right? It is, and it's something you know about thirty. Oh my gosh, about thirty three, thirty four years ago, I came to the realization of if. If you know, back then we used purpose off. I uh, I did something on purpose as an excuse, Mm -hmm. or we wouldn't use it in the positive. We would use it in I spilled my milk at mom. I didn't do that on purpose. So it was used as a negative. And I decided, well, wait a minute, what would life be like if you did do things on purpose, if you acted with intention? Mm -hmm. And then that led me to say, well, what is purpose? And part of that goes along with, you know, I'm a business strategist by training and by profession. And I began to recognize that purpose is something that back then in the 80s, late 80s, was not even discussed in the business strategy world. Today, I'd like to think that the work that I, the seeds that I planted way back when have come to fruition. And today you see a lot of people talking about purpose, but they're basically very confused about their usage of it. And particularly for those of us that are Christians, uh, our purpose is, has a much deeper and profound meaning uh, because our purpose, uh, when I help people articulate their purpose in two words, it's it's really uh, getting to the who they, their identity in Christ and putting very specific words around a very big concept like mm-hmm. your identity mm-hmm. in Christ. Uh, a lot so, of people seem to confuse purpose with value. And there, there are similarities without mm-hmm. a doubt, but you, you can have, you can have values in your life that things that you hold in value, but yet your purpose is not defined necessarily by the things that you hold at, at the deepest value because purpose, it carries and you correct me if I'm wrong, but it carries a little bit of action, uh, in, in, in taking these concepts and bringing them to fruition, doesn't it? Yeah, I like to think of purpose as kind of like a pure white light that if you shine it through a prism, that it produces, uh, there's purpose, vision, mission, and values mm-hmm. are within it. So vision is kind of where you're going. It's where you're, where you're thinking about headed and, and what's sort of, what, what God's written on your heart, how it translates into your mind's eye. So it's what you see. Missions then are the action piece. So it has this action component that you're saying, aha, here's, here's why I'm here. Here's what I see. So here's what I need to do, which is the mission. And then from the mission, you then say, how do I govern that? And that is based on your values. And so your values then play an important role because they sort of give the guardrails mm-hmm. of your behavior, what's right, what's wrong, and whether you'll cross that line or not. But purpose is the why, vision is the where, and missions are the how, and then values are the sort of the way I choose or it's mm-hmm. the what. So I, again, another way I describe it is purpose is your being, vision is your seeing, missions are your doing, and values are your choosing. So it's yeah. a very simple methodology, if you will, once you understand the words. I like that. Purpose is the being. It is, and it's who we are. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it is. It, it's the plan that he's given us. And, you know, there's no greater purpose that one can find in their life than who they are in Christ. You know, mm-hmm. that union in Christ that we have as believers is something that so many people never really grab hold of. Yeah. And so on purpose 
is a very high standard. It's where your heart, your head, and your hands are aligned within your your values, your throat, and your gut. As again, the values are in your throat and your gut. And so it's the sort of thing where um, it creates a unity, as you were describing that unity, or as a mm -hmm. oneness. Mm -hmm. And that oneness is the word shalom or peace. Hmm. And if you think about what is the opposite of oneness, it's separation or sin. So it's a very powerful but simple concept that describes the gospel in a way that is understandable to anybody. So yeah. if you talk to somebody about, you know, do you feel whole? Well, no, I don't. Well, maybe is it your purpose? Is it your vision? Is it your mission? Is it your values? Where where do you feel off? Yeah. And so that's a way that you can have a conversation with somebody about their purpose and whether they're on their purpose. Yeah. Now you know you know John Crossman. He's a, mm -hmm. a mutual oh, friend John, of ours. Great guy. He's an awesome guy. And he often on his program will cover the subject. It's a tough subject, and that is of suicide. And it's something that sadly in our lifetime right now, this this season that we're living in right now, suicide is at a, a rampant growth. It's in some uh, categories of uh, demographics, it's the number one cause of death. And that's death by, by choice. Is it, do you think it's too simplistic to say that if a person has been considering that, that they've lost sight of their purpose? Is that is that too simple? I, I would agree that that is, but I think there's a deeper, uh, I don't know if I'd call it a philosophy or maybe a bridge is a better way to describe it. They've crossed a bridge into meaninglessness. Mm -hmm. And so what purpose does is it provides specificity to the question, is life meaningful? Mm. So if life is meaningless, then I'm meaningless and my, my actions have no consequences. Yeah. There's no cause and effect. Uh, therefore, whatever I do, who cares? And I don't matter. And so it, it begins a whole cycle. Now, there's a lot of people who are not committing suicide that have that sort of embedded belief, whether they recognize it or not, going on yeah. in their lives. Yeah. Where what purpose does, and what I try to do with helping people find their two-word purpose statement is to know their purpose, articulate it, and then it's almost like a vaccination against meaninglessness, that you always have a two-word wow. purpose statement to go back to and say, wait a minute, um, I, there's a reason why I exist. I exist to serve by, and it could be like liberating greatness, awakening worth, igniting joy, cultivating growth. These are examples of two-word purpose statements that I help people craft. Um, and I've got a tool that's an online mm -hmm. tool that helps people do that. So that 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 ability to have those conversations and to to meet somebody where they are is really important to what we're what I'm about and, mm -hmm. and have been mm -hmm. uh, for many decades now. In terms of uh, because of the nature of my Christian faith and the nature of my work as a strategist, but also a professional speaker and author, is I'm out in front of an audience with a secular audience. So how do I communicate what I'm going to call the gospel truth in a way that is received by the audience without running the risk of either, either legal issues or offending the client that hired me mm -hmm. uh, and as well as the audience that's there? Hmm. That's well said, man. There, uh, there's a lot about those Two words, the two two word on purpose statement about a person. So when you are helping somebody craft what their expression would be, uh, give us the the background the uh, on these two words. Are they are they similar words? Are is one a noun, one an, uh, an adjective? Well, the way we do it is the first word. Let's just take a liberating greatness as an example. Mm -hmm. And so liberating greatness is uh, the first word liberating is what's in English is technically called a gerund. And a gerund is the best way to think about it is an active verb. So it can be in your past, your present, and your future into eternity for that matter. So liberating, I was liberating. I am liberating. So I was in the past. I am in the present. I am liberating. I will be liberating. So it has this timeless quality to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the greatness is an example of what I'm going to call an affirmative or positive characteristic. Uh, 
mostly stated as a noun. So it could be liberating greatness or igniting joy or awakening worth. Again, those are examples. And so what happens for a lot of people is when they get these two words, it uh, it's almost as though it's the last tumbler in a lock and key set that suddenly it turns and they're like, ah, my life finally makes sense. I get it. When I was a little girl, this is what I felt. And when I was going through those rough teenage years or in college and I felt awkward, and now that I'm 30 years old and this this suddenly it's like I get kind of where I am and who I am. And and that way, the, the beauty of a two-word purpose statement is it is not performance-based. It just is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And as a result of just being, then now you can look at it and say, well, based on this, God's written some vision in my life. And, and where, where, what does that look like? Now, a lot of people will talk about it in, you know, as a young person, you might be in college and saying, well, I want to be a school teacher. That's a vision. Or I want to be a lawyer. I want to go to law school and do that. Or I want to be a doctor or uh, I want to be a policeman. Whatever it may be, those are, those are our vocational visions. But, you know, you can also have a vision of I'd like to be married and have children and, uh, you know, live in Winter Springs or uh, mm-hmm. Apopka or wherever, you know, whatever it may be that you have, these are visions that we create. We have these ideas and these ideals that we're striving towards and those visions are there. And then you look at it and say, well, how do I make that happen? Well, that would be your missions. So if you, if it's a vocational one, well, are you educated? Have you gone to the police academy? Have you applied? That's a good one right there. Yeah, so are, often people haven't even started. Right. Are you fit? Have, yeah. you, have you looked at the fitness requirements? Are you working out to make sure that you can pass the physical requirements? Do you like donuts? A, yeah. <laughs> that, that comes after. <laughs> oh, okay. I got it. But, you know, it's, it's, these are the sort of things that you begin to look at and say, well, there's certain requirements that might be essential to that job. Certainly you can have a spiritual goal as well in terms of your own spiritual development where you can say, I want to be a mature Christian. Uh, What does that look like? Well, it might be a daily devotional or it could be going to church every Sunday or maybe Wednesday nights or uh, having it being in a small group or having an accountability partner or partners. Uh, There's, these are all missions of what Mm -hmm. you can do, but underneath it, is this sense of liberating greatness. And so the idea is that God wants to liberate your greatness. Then you have to embrace that, take that as a present, open up that present, play with that. What does liberating greatness look like? And then how do you give it expression? So that expression then becomes that vision, which is a vision of that expression. And then the missions are putting it into practice. And then the values are going to say, well, if I'm going to be a policeman, I'm going to be a good cop, not a bad cop. Mm-hmm. I will be th- th- honest. I will be this. I will. I will honor God. I will be uh, love my neighbor. Um, that those could be examples of a value that you might bring into a profession. You know, I'm thinking of a a metaphor of a train. Would would, uh, would what part would the tracks bring in this analogy that you're bringing? Would that be Purpose? The, would well, that no, be? I think the tracks would be the values. In other okay. words, they're going to keep you on the straight. They're going to keep you on the right they're, way. They're going to keep you going. the The track, the, the train itself, would be like the missions. Uh, the vision would be the destination where you're going on the train, and or uh, what direction you're going to be going. The to direction head there, you're yeah. heading, because vision does give direction mm-hmm. of all the possibilities in the world. Why do you feel like you want to be a policeman? Uh, that that's a vi- that's a direction that's there, and then. Uh, the, the person who's riding on the train is the one that brings their why. Why mm-hmm. do I want to do this? There's something meaningful in it to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, we come with meaning. God equips us yep. with meaning. All of us. And, and so, all of us. That's right. And so the idea, going back to the whole issue of suicide, is if, if you do not have a sense of meaning, not even a sense of meaning. Well, a sense of meaning is in that case, I like to say a sense of meaning is like smelling a snake steak, but not getting to bite it. Mm, that's tough. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or, or smelling a pizza and not getting to taste it. Mm-hmm. And that's a sense that of That might purpose. be worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where I'm trying to say yeah, to people, right. don't settle for a sense when you can actually know yeah. your purpose and you can consume it. Oh, you can, that's good. You can taste it. You, you can don't smell want to settle it. just for the smell of the aroma. 
when we can actually dive into it right. and enjoy it. Yeah. That's really great stuff, man. All in two words, on purpose. And again, I'm just convinced that most people in this day, they their heads are down so often. Even at restaurants, when you go, you see family sitting around or couples sitting around. So often their heads are down. Their Their purpose is somewhere obscured because their vision, their attention is on that screen. That screen's got to be one of the biggest purpose robbers in the world, right? Yeah. In fact, it was funny. I was sitting in a restaurant the other day with my wife, and there was a family of uh, uh, two parents, three little boys, probably six, eight, and ten. And the three boys had screens up. Hmm. The dad had a screen up, and the mom was staring off. Oh. And, and they and were not, that way yeah. throughout almost the entire dinner. Yeah, yeah. I've seen that happen over and over. It, it has become the way we are. Yeah. And that is, you know, I, I've, you've said so many things already that when I have you on, you're like a walking factory of incredible one-lining statements that I, I just feel like, Kevin, I need to draw, I need to write some of these down and, and draw pictures while you're talking because it's so helpful. But when you, when you think about the, the, a person's purpose is their reason for being, and yet we so easily on a daily basis just get caught up in one distraction right after another. And usually things on those screens are just meaningless. It's not, doesn't qualify for why they're there or their sense of being. Right. And if you think about it, the entertainment that it provides uh, may be entertaining, but it is not necessarily enriching. Yeah. yeah. And so that I think, and, and so if you think about a child growing up looking at a meaningless activity, and you wonder why do they grow up thinking their life is meaningless or they're to be entertained? Um, have you ever seen the movie Wall-E? It's a Disney Pixar movie. No. Oh, it's a wonderful little movie, but in the it's a, about a little robot who lives on Earth after it's been devastated, and there's nothing green left on the planet, and the the humans are riding around in this giant spaceship, and they sit around all day in basically giant scooters with what would be like a 16 ounce soda. And they have a screen in front of them and they spend all day consuming, they're, uh, they're all obese and they sit there all day long consuming massive quantities of, of sugary substances and looking at a screen. That sounds like every day. And, it, yeah, it, it, and it's, it's really interesting because I don't is. know when the movie came out. It might have been like 2004, 2005, but it was prescient in the sense of what is happening to our society in terms mm-hmm. of just if you look at the... Uh, uh, obesity is is rampant. Uh, screen time is huge, and uh, the consumption of just uh, non nutritionist food is oh, just yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. So, and we wonder why are people wanting to commit suicide? Well, their their bodies are filled with unhealthy thoughts. Yeah. Uh, they've consumed unhealthy thoughts, unhealthy foods, unhealthy drinks, and uh, and it's going to cloud your experience of life. And that means you will not see your purpose. And that's, that's tragic. And, uh, you know, going, my heart goes out to all who have lost someone to a suicide. I, I just think there can't be too much more painful than that. It's such a waste, such a loss. But thank God there have been many people who, by the grace of God and maybe a person's intervention at the last minute, averted such a calamity as that. And uh, it's a wonderful thing when that happens. My guest today is Kevin McCarthy. And when we come back, Kevin and I are going to be having a discussion about conversations that are full of living water. Now, what in the world could we mean by that? We'll tell you when we get back. This is Afternoons with Mike. You're on The Shepherd. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top train comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144. Or visit ecwaters.com. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling 
an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. A fun visit with my friend Kevin McCarthy. Kevin is one of these guys. He's a consultant. He is an author, written several books. He's a speaker to both businesses and I don't know what all kind of groups, man. You do a bunch of different types of meetings. Uh, I know you've done training before and coaching and all of those good things. One thing that you have to be good at to do what you do is they understand the idea of communication. You know, years ago, I studied communication when I was in college. And somewhere along those early years, someone uttered to me when they found out I was a communications major. And they said, well, you know something, Mike about communication. And I said, no, tell me, what is it? And he said this, communicators are often horrible communicators. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought for a moment, what are you talking about? That's their job. That's their specialty. But I found out in my life when I started doing radio and TV that he was exactly right. So often people who you would think would have so much to say on something they often don't. That's interesting. Yeah. Or they're reading off a teleprompter. Exactly. And yeah, that's. And then you think about how many times people who were in management of radio stations and, and they their, their conveyance of what they wanted would not always be super clear. Or it would be the opposite. The conveyance of what they wanted was really undesirable. <laughs> you you think you want me to do that? You want me to say it like that? When I especially when I was in TV, the the efforts when you're on television every night, the efforts to stay at the top of the Nielsen ratings becomes like the paramount thing in your life in your day. And I I've had managers before where you get the feeling that's all they think about from the time they wake up, and it probably is. Mm. So they're they are tending then to go the avenue of doing gimmicks to stay, you know, out front and do all those kinds of things. Yeah. When the externalities drive your life, uh, you lose your inner compass. Mm-hmm. That's well said. So those things, those forces on the external, if that's what's pushing you, you'll lose your way. Yeah. In other words, to our previous segment, you, you're off purpose. Yeah, that's right. Well, I was off purpose much of those years in TV, man. <laughs> I didn't even know what my purpose was. <laughs> I, I was supposed to be a weather guy, but oftentimes they had me handing out flowers to people in the community who had done good work. And that's great, but I, but more time was spent on how I gave the flowers away. It, it was, you know, I was like, oh, is this what I'm, I don't think so. So your April showers were bringing you May flowers. Oh, <laughs> that's good, man. That was on the spot too. All right, Kevin, let's talk about this. Living water conversations. Now that, that just demands some explanation right up front. So give that to us. What is a living water conversation. Well, a living water conversation is best described as when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, and he knows who she is by the nature of the time she's there, what she's doing uh, in the middle of the day uh, alone, and he talks to her. Not the water gathering time. Yes, and he talks with her, and, and she says, you know, why would you, a Jew, talk to a Samaritan woman? And he says, if you knew who I was, God would give you water so you'll never be thirsty again. And he talks to her about living water. And and she then says, where can I get this living water? So the idea is that Jesus met her where she was. He didn't talk to her about the Torah or the law or anything. He met her at her point of thirst and hunger. Mm -hmm. And so I think as Christians, and one of the benefits I have is I came to Christ when I was in my early 30s. So I spent the first 30 years of my life not in an anti-Christian environment, but just in sort of a a nominal, benign existence. We didn't go to church. Uh, As a small kid, I didn't go to church. And so I didn't grow up in the church. 
and I the the Bible was an irrelevant. Let's I'll, I'll go to when I'm 30 years old. How's that? The Bible was an irrelevant relic in my life, and I was aware of it. I had one, didn't read it. Uh, it was given to me at my baptism when I was an infant in the Episcopal Church. Uh, interestingly, I still worship in the Episcopal Church because uh, I happened to marry a woman who was an Episcopalian. Mm -hmm. But um, it was just sort of uh, this so this irrelevant document is best, basically the best way to describe it. As a result, what I found is that people would come to me who were Christians and would talk to me about, you know, John 3.16, or they would talk to me about Peter, or I didn't know th who Peter was. It was Peter Rabbit. Was it Peter Pan? Uh, they would have all these conversations about these references that were not on my screen of mm, reference. Yeah, right. And so it was just, it was, they just looked to me like idiots, frankly. Uh, and so today I'm one of those idiots, by the way. I'm proud of it. <laughs> uh, but I, I realized when I did become a Christian on February 14th, 1986, is the day that Jesus went from my head to my heart. And I began to recognize that how would I reach me? when I was 30 years old. So some of this is purpose. Uh, what's really fascinating is in the corporate world, purpose is what, they, what they're missing about it. I mean, you have, you have all these big people, Harvard Business Reviews writing about purpose, McKinsey, a big consulting firm, Bain, all these big consulting firms, Gallup, they talk about purpose, but what they're not willing to do is go to the fact that purpose is spiritual. Yeah, they, it's like they have to avoid any terminology that might have to do with the Bible. Well, it's not just the Bible. Or okay. just let's just talk of the spiritual plane. Mm. So what happens if they're ignorant of the spiritual or unwilling to go there in the spiritual because it seems controversial or they're afraid they'll offend somebody or they may not get it quote unquote right? Uh, it's it's almost like imagine Star Wars without the dark side. And so they, they're unwilling to talk about the dark side or the, the light side of the force, if you will. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so you see that we have these, these wonderful stories in society of good and evil, and most people can buy good and evil, but yet in the corporate world, we don't want to talk about good and evil. We just want to talk about what you should do. Here it is. Do this. Make money. Uh, make money. Make money. Make money. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, shareholder value. Increase mm -hmm. shareholder value, and and as a result, you create the 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 proverbial man in the empty gray suit. The gray. What, mm -hmm. What's the term? The empty the the gray suit. The gray flannel suit. That's what it is. The man in the empty gray flannel suit. So we don't want to be that person, and yet that's what corporate America has, in essence, created. And so that's why whenever I go into an environment, which is a business environment, or it could be even a church, because I have a lot of churches that don't get this right either, they're, they're, they're misusing purpose. And so it gives me an opportunity to talk to people about deep spiritual truths and actually give a modest re realignment, mm -hmm. uh, sort of like a spiritual chiropractor. Mm. <laughs> Hear the creaking of those bones coming into place. Right, <laughs> that's right. And so uh, it, it's it's powerful in that regard to be able to do that. Yeah. But what I also discovered is there's a lot of ways to talk to people about issues that are going on. For instance, in the first segment, we were talking about suicide. So if you're talking to somebody about suicide, you don't talk to them necessarily about purpose, but you can talk to them about, do you think that life was created by accident or by design? Mm-hmm. Or is, mm. is your life meaningful? And these are just, you know, one-line questions, and then you keep your mouth shut and listen to what they say. Um, one of the concepts that's out there in the marketplace that is very popular is the idea of identifying sort of the human experience as mind, body, and spirit. So if I'm doing some coaching, maybe one-on-one -on -one with a person, I'll ask, so on your body, how, how well do you think you're doing on a scale of one to 10? Are you healthy? Are you vibrant? Do you have good energy? And they'll give themselves an honest answer. And then I'll say, well, on your mind, mm -hmm. do you feel like you're enriching your mind or doing what you need to do? Or do you feel stale or brain fog or what's going on? And they'll talk to me about that. And then I'll say, and so, so tell me, where are you spiritually? Where's your spirit? 
and invariably they'll t- they'll tell me and they'll say, well, you know, I grew up in the church, but I no longer go. I just didn't buy that. Or I, when I was a kid yeah. in college, I just went away and I've never gotten back. And, and, and I might even say something like, so how many other decisions would you rely upon? And, you know, when you were an 18 year old and you decided not to go to church anymore, how many other decisions in your life do you rely upon now that you're 36 would you let your 18 year old self make for you? And they go, not many, you know, <laughs> that's right. And I say, well, so that was a decision you might want to revisit, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's a way to have a living water conversation to meet people where they are, give them that water. So they'll never be thirsty again. Well, you know, they are thirsty, whether they realize it or not, they're missing it. And the Lord knew that. And this lady, why I love that story so much and I think the uh, conversation that the Lord had with her is something that we can actually learn from the way that he kept drawing her back to center because she's kind of going off in almost distracting directions involving history and their families and what true worship was. And he's wanting to make it much more personal and he keeps bringing it back to her I think that so that is typical to what happens in our life today. It's so easy, isn't it, to get distracted? It is. And I think the other part of it is, again, if there's a deeper lesson to learn from Christ in that experience, it is first and foremost, he loved her mm-hmm. as she was. And I mean, we in the church, I mean, I, I heard a sermon yesterday in our church where there was a conversation that today young people believe that Christianity is a, a faith of hate uh, more and more. And uh, it, it's wow. so off the mark. Mind you, our society isn't helping to convey that. But in the bottom line, if you look at it, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. In this, yeah. all the laws and the prophets are there. We are truly a faith of love. However, we can get very judgmental in our Bible beating. And as a result, again, going back to Kevin McCarthy at 30 years old, you beat me over the head with your Bible and I'm going to just laugh in your face because I don't really buy your Bible. Mm -hmm. You might as well be speaking Russian to me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to view you as irrelevant and disrespectful. Out of touch. Out of touch. Mm-hmm. And, and But if you talk to me about how's your job going and um, is it meaningful? Are you doing meaningful work? Do you feel like you're making a difference? These are things everybody, universally, people want to know that their life is making a difference. So you can say to somebody a question. And again, these are all just about asking good, simple questions like, on a scale of 1 to 10, and it comes to making a difference, how do you think you're doing? And somebody can say, well, you know, not very well. I mean, most people are give, if you ask a sincere question from La Place of Love, a true inquiry without bias or judgment seeping in, mm-hmm. uh, you will find that people will give you an honest and straight answer. And you'll have... If they trust you. If they trust you. If, yeah. It, and and the beauty of that is that there's an intimacy in those conversations that is rare in our society today. Mm-hmm. That kind of knowing a person is such an honor and a privilege. Do you think that we rush that as believers? Do you think we possibly uh, try to avoid uh, maybe missing it to the point that we don't develop that trust? I think it's very possible, particularly if you look at some of the confrontational evangelism that goes on. Not that, and again, that works. There's times where it works. I, I tend to remember I talked about February 14th, 1986, mm-hmm. when Jesus went from my head to my heart. That was at an Episcopal Crucio weekend at a Canterbury Conference Center. And uh, the, the thing that's interesting about Crucio or Walk on Emmaus or in prisons, it's called Kairos, is. Um, the or I think uh, there's a youth group version of that too, which is uh, I forget what that's called. Anyway, but the point of that is that the the idea is make a friend, be a be a friend, bring a friend, and that's a process. That's a that's a relationship. Mm-hmm. 
And ours is a faith relationship rather than a transactional. And so if you go to the transactional pieces, again, they, they can Early, work. Yeah. They can work. I yeah. mean, you know, at some level, there are those sort of uh, moments where people will say, oh my gosh, I was somebody confronted me about this and it struck me and I heard it and boom, the transaction occurred, if you will, and the transformation began. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. by and large, I think it's it's discipleship, it's friendship, evangelism, friendship, and discipleship is yeah. really. You know, I've told this story before, but it's it comes to my mind right now. There comes a point in time where even in our best efforts, we're trying to win somebody, we're trying to help them. I was on a mission trip uh, of witnessing at the Kentucky Derby in Louisville, Kentucky. Wow. And it was years ago, and we were all there. There's a bunch of people of all ages, young people, some older people. We were all kind of charged. We had a worship service on the, on the night before. Then on Derby Eve, we were out there uh, witnessing, just kind of standing around trying to start up conversations with people. And, and I was amazed at how many people were actually willing to talk to us. But there was a, a big guy looked like he, this particular fellow. And when I first saw him, I thought, this is one of the biggest men that I've ever seen in my life. The second thought is you better be careful because this guy could squash you. And he, and he could have, believe me. But he turned around and started talking to me about, about things. And I said, he goes, well, things are just really crazy out here, aren't they? He says, it's always different. Every year, you never see anything. This well, in my mind right then, I'm thinking, oh, this is a perfect opportunity to make a little bridge and talk about something spiritual. It's too early, man. Way too early. So I, what did I do? I told him, I said, well, you know, there's one person that never changes, and his name is Jesus. The Bible says that, and, and then I go on to quote this, uh, that he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that guy looks at me, he goes, chapter and verse. And I said, excuse me? He said, you just talked about the Bible to me. He's real angry. And, and I said, yes. He says, give me the chapter and verse. Well, that was Hebrews 13, 8. But in that moment, I did not know by memory the chapter and verse for that verse. So I said, well, I, I, I don't know it right offhand, but it is in the word. He goes, ha, you Christians, you're all alike. You always are spouting something you don't even know. And in that moment, I thought, I'm either, I've either blown this one out the window or there's got to be a hope. So I prayed quickly and very quickly. And then I looked at him. I said, well, let me ask you a sec, a question. You mind? He goes, no, go ahead. I said, how much is two and two? And he said, that's stupid. That's four, of course. And I said, well, tell me what page number in your math textbook that you learned that truth. And he goes, well, I don't know. And I said, well, that doesn't mean that it's not true just because uh -huh. you can't do it, right? And this guy, I, I, there was a moment I didn't know if he was going to hit me or smile. He ended up smiling and invited me to talk with him. Wow. And I was able to share the gospel with him. Yeah. And, you know, it, it just takes time. Sometimes we get in trouble. We think we've blown it. What a great story. It, it, it really happened. I mean, I had a chance to pray with the guy. Yeah, I think one of the things that's interesting is, you know, we use this concept of winning souls. And the truth is we're not winning anything. It's not a contest. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, it's really a relation. It's bridging. If it's anything, it's bridging souls or... Hold uh, on to that. Connecting. It is a bridge. I agree. Kevin McCarthy is my guest. We're up against a break. We'll be right back. We'll continue this in a moment. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. With me is my buddy, and he's turning out to be a bit of a regular on the program, Kevin McCarthy, the on-purpose guy. You've heard me talk about his books before. 
And there, it's always an effective conversation. I walk away from these things, man, remembering and talking about it to my wife and thinking, man, this is good stuff. We kind of, before I had to take a quick break, we were talking about conversations that have that all-important aspect of a bridge. Go ahead and continue your thoughts about that. Yeah, well, we were talking about the fact that, you know, a lot of times we talk about winning souls and it's almost like, a contest where we're keeping score and you know notches you, on a gospel gun is what somebody once said. Right. And you were at the you were at the Kentucky Derby telling you the story about that. You weren't horsing around there. Oh, <laughs> oh man. I know dad jokes. That's what it. Can I say? There we, we go, friend. That's it. We we're both guilty, right? Yeah, that's right. Anyway, but it, hey, it's neighbor, that's it. <laughs> but it's the idea that you're basically sitting there saying it's it's about building a relationship and, and you can build a relationship in an elevator. I mean, it, it doesn't, doesn't take forever. To, yeah, it doesn't have to be. I mean, but it, basically, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, it, for instance, in the business world, I've often had people say to me, you know, if you're at a business social event, networking event, and somebody says, what do you do? You can say, well, I'm an accountant or I'm a lawyer or whatever. And that tends to end the conversation. It's just, you know, okay. Uh, well, they might ask, do you have a specialty or something like that? If they're a good conversationalist, mm-hmm. they might push it a little bit further. Uh, but the other side of the coin is if you were to look at it and say, you know, what do you do? And, you know, if I was to ask you, Mike, and you're, you're, what you do is you turn it around and you say, do you know how a lot of people are driving around their cars and they're feeling kind of alone or lost? I'm a voice that encourages them and gives them hope. At least I tried to. That's and good. You do. But you've kept, you've turned it around and it's not a one word answer and it's going to now evoke something back from them. Correct. And they might say, well, how do you do that? And say, well, I'm, uh, I produce radio shows with interesting guests who speak about truth in a way that maybe other people have never heard it before. And they don't think about it. And they don't think about yeah, it, right? right. And, and so again... As opposed to saying, I'm a host of a radio show on the afternoons mm-hmm. with Mike. Yeah. And yeah. Giving them an image, a new image of something else that might be related to what we're doing, but it, it is just then a bridge to further conversation. Right. But it's, it's taking their what do you do and saying, do you know how people driving around in their cars, mm-hmm. but, you know, they're, they're yeah, all of a sudden, an image. they're one of those, yeah. are yeah. often sort of feeling lost and alone and they may be moving from station to station or listening to a podcast or whatever there is they're doing. And, and now all of a sudden they're relating, they're putting themselves in that car. Mm -hmm. They're, they're feeling their emotions and then you're providing an answer to their emotion. This is just another topic, another example of a living water conversation. Then you're just keeping the opportunity for that living water to bubble up. Yeah, I call those doo-doo dialogues, not to be confused with uh, what little kids call doo-doo, but it's called, you, you take there, what do you do? And then you take, the next line out of your mouth is, do you know? And so ah, that do okay. shifts into a do and you create it into a dialogue. And like I said, you can be on a quote-unquote elevator and have that conversation and chances are that person might hold the door while they were stepping out and asking you a little bit more. They're a little more curious about it. Or they're like, this guy's weird. I don't want to talk to him, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. You know, yeah. How did all this come to you, Kevin? Oh, just decades of uh, working with people. I mean, the whole on purpose uh, work that I do. I just, uh, when I, be, like I said at the beginning of the show, whenever I began People didn't know what purpose was. They still don't, mm-hmm. largely, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so I've just had to find ways to be able to reach people and communicate and touch into their hearts in a way that maybe I can earn a little space to speak some truth into their heart and soul. Now, I have not heard of a book that I can think of that deals with all of what you've just said in this living water talk that we've been doing. I do... Can we anticipate a book coming from you on this? Um, yes, I think it's it may be a short book and not necessarily because I think it's one of those things where I, I'm playing with the idea of writing a book with it. You know, I'm an author, so I write books. 
uh, this is something I'm doing. If people like the idea, they can reach out to me and say, mm, hey, Kevin. You I know, love the yeah, idea. Yeah. You know, here's, you know, can you write a Living Water Conversations book? Mm -hmm. And I would love to do that. Uh, it's just a matter of I've got so many projects on my plate. that, But this is one that I just was felt was an important conversation because so many people, particularly, you know, you can go to your job. And today the workplace is really very harsh on Christians unless you happen to work at like a Chick-fil-A or Interstate <laughs> Batteries or one mm -hmm. of these larger companies where they're, they're proud of their faith. But um, even then, they're persecuted for what they're doing. And so most people are afraid of the persecution, and I get that. But there are still ways that you could have meaningful conversations with coworkers, friends, and family about this without provoking maybe their ire. Um, and if, even if they won't engage with you, believe me, the question you ask, such as, is life meaningful? Mm -hmm. Or how do you feel like you're making a difference in the world? Um, is, is a provocative question that will get them thinking. Hmm. And if they're not willing to think at that point, then as Jesus would say, you've thrown your pearl before swines. But I don't believe that that's the case. I believe that that question is resonating somewhere in their heart and soul and that they're, they're, they're asking that question. Mm -hmm. I mean, yesterday I had a conversation with a young man about his work and I could tell that he wasn't happy on his job. It wasn't a bad situation, but I just said, if you weren't doing what you're doing, what would you be doing? And he smiled and he said to me, Every day I ask myself that question and I don't have an answer for it. Oh, wow. He's not come in touch with the the thing that really gives him the greatest delight. He's he's off purpose. He's he, off purpose. Now he's providing for his family. He has prestige. He makes a good living. Uh, all of those things are there. But at the end of the day, there's an emptiness. Mm. And that to me is the heartbreak that I'm trying to prevent. So often, and is this not true? So often, if they do an inventory of what they really like, what really excites them, they would probably stumble into something that's close to what they would love to do if they had uh, no, no, uh, let's say, bars to hold them back. Yeah, I, I would agree. And even if it's a matter of, again, it's the absence of a vision. So they don't have a vision of what would happen if they got fired, for goodness sakes, or if they were to do something different, what, what to even apply for. So in many ways, it's easy to get into the rut. Uh, it may be a gold-plated rut for, at that matter, mm -hmm. but it's still a rut. And what will happen is uh, this young guy, I don't know how, let's say he's 35 years old, he could stay in that job for another 10 years and just be further, further away from what would be his greatest possibilities. Um, and, uh, and more fear comes in because now the mortgage payment's bigger, the college tuitions are kicking in, uh, it's all yeah. on him. Mm -hmm. and, and it's just harder and harder to escape. Mm. And we're living in a day where that is really true so often, isn't it? Because People can't get away from what uh, they have, these questions that are rolling in, especially during COVID times when, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the world almost shut down and so many people are, they're spending just alone time with their families and they hadn't done that to that level in a long time. They, they just, there's a lot of people who really don't know what, what is inside them, inside their hearts. And these kinds of conversations, these kinds of questions can really push a person to say, what is it that, uh, that is really driving me? What is it that I really want to do? And that can, that can be one of the greatest sources of joy for that person if they discover it. Yeah, and in fact, I would even say it's not even a driver. It's answering a call. Hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's, you're not able to hear the call because you're being driven. Ah, nice. Well said. All of the distractions, all of the other stuff it's just, uh, it's, it needs to kind of just be left alone. You know, I had a boss one time years ago and he told me the craziest analogy and I've, I've never forgotten it. He said, he said, life can just be full of pressure. He says, but if you look at it this way, you want to be the ping pong ball held under 
the water, you know, where all that pressure is, and then just let go of that thing and see what pops up. <laughs> so I think that is a really, really great way of saying it. If we just let go while the pressure is great, let go of something that we think we can't afford to let go of and find out what's on the inside of our heart, it just may pop up above the surface. Yeah. And we can see it. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't say to this young man, quit your day job and just go start something. I mean, right. in other words, you better have a vision. You can craft that vision during your off hours. Yeah. You can be thinking about that as you're driving to work. What would my, what would, would, what would be the right thing for me to be about if mm -hmm. I weren't doing this? And he eventually said to me, oh, I'd probably be the ranger on a golf course or, you know, so, it, it just something flipped that it was just out there that he was talking about, but it was getting him closer to his heart. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had, um, the opportunity with my wife, we watched a movie the other night and I rarely ever talk about movies on my program. This one's called a million miles away. And it's the story. It's based on a true story of the first, uh, the first migrant farm worker that ever went up to space. He, he had a heart, he had very strong intellect, even as a boy, and his mom and dad sacrificed greatly for him to go to school. And he became an engineer, ultimately ended up uh, a very successful job, but he always wanted to go into the space program. Year after year, he was turned down. He kept applying. And his wife looked at him one time and she said, what is it that's keeping you from making it? And she kept asking that question. So he started answering the questions. He thought he knew what they were. And then he started working on a list to overcome every one of those things that he felt was holding him back. And he ended up winning and making it. Wow. It's a great story. It's yeah. a great movie. Yeah, one of the things I, I like to recommend to people is uh, in my first book, The On Purpose Person, I have a process called A Want List in a Tournament. I'm a tennis player. So what you do is you write down all that you want. Let's just take the vocational area. We could do it for other areas of life as well, but in the vocational area of career, since we're sort of talking that, and, and that is you write down everything you want and into a tennis tournament bracketing, like, or the final mm -hmm. four, if you're yeah. familiar with basketball. Yeah, bracketology. Yes, and then you say, which is more important, this or that? And then you write down why you chose this or that. And then you just continue to work through your brackets and eventually what will happen is at the end, you'll come out much more informed about what is most important to you and why. And then uh, you'll also uh, discover uh, maybe where the trade-offs are and it will reveal some of your values. Hmm. There you go. So it's a very fascinating process where you write down what you want, what God's right. written in your heart. Wow. And then you choose... And as you're choosing, you're understanding your values. And then at the end, you can assess those values and you can assess that choice and say, does that look right for me? And if it does, then what do I need to do to start moving in that direction? Whether it's answering, like you were saying, the questions mm -hmm. that don't work, what's holding me back? What's holding me back? Then you can start working on eliminating obstacles. That's good. Man, you are an uncommon common sense man that's <laughs> the way i'd like to leave this kevin mccarthy give us the website for where people can learn about their on purpose sure and you can find your books well uh you can go to onpurpose.com is everything and then with the two-word purpose tool we have is onpurpose.me okay kevin can't wait for the next time you to come up my friend thank you it's a lot of fun to talk with you and friends thank you for joining us as well we'll see you next time right here on afternoons with mike <music>